In uh, preparation for uh, today's message, uh, we shall be reading from the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portion and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated. Good morning. We begin a series on the Epistle to the Hebrews. Our text is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and the title of today's sermon is Christ the Center. The writer of Hebrews begins with a powerful statement concerning the Son of God. Throughout the first part of this treatise, uh, treatise meaning something written formally and systematically, he expounded that the Son of God is superior to all, including the angels and prophets. Arthur Pink, our Reformed Bible teacher, in the early part of the 20th century, stated that the first three verses are not a simple preface, but a summary of the epistle's doctrinal section. As you know that in several epistles, especially the epistles of Paul, they begin with a doctrinal study before they discuss the application. Before they say how we should live, they first ground us in some theological truth about God and about Christ. So in this first part, the first three verses is the summary of this doctrinal portion. The author of Hebrews would continue to assert in the rest of the epistle, about the superiority of Christ over the Old Covenant. The author was obviously speaking to Jewish people, both believers and non-believers. Although the author's identity is unclear, tradition attributes the book of Hebrews to Paul the apostle. However, there are scholars who oppose this. Those that say this is probably the writing of Paul, they justify it with the writing style used in the book of Hebrews. And those who oppose it also use the same reason, also style of writing. There are parts that mirror the style of Paul, and there are parts 
that do not. But aside from the superiority of Christ, the author encouraged the Jewish believers to keep the faith and endure persecution. Because some of them, or let's not just say some, many of them, because many of them were being converted back to Judaism. So the author explained who Christ is and that Christ is better than Judaism, that he is actually the fulfillment of the prophets and the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Point number one, God spoke to the Jewish ancestors through the prophets at different times and in different ways. Such was God's ways in the Old Testament. But the principal prophecies would be about the Messiah. Let's look again at verse 1, chapter 1 of Hebrews. It says here, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. God sent his message to Israel through prophets like Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and many others. God sent his message of judgment, warning, or promise through these special messengers. Some prophets, like Moses and Samuel, received honor and respect in their own nation. But most prophets suffered persecution, like Elijah and Jeremiah. The Jewish people held the prophets of their history in high esteem. They adhered to the law, but not just the law, but also the prophets. They always identified with the prophets when studying history. However, when the prophets came to Israel, most of the time the prophets were mocked and persecuted. They believed that God sent the prophets to speak of his divine messages, especially about the coming Messiah. Prophets like Isaiah, Daniel, Moses, Jeremiah, and Zechariah prophesied the coming of the king. One can argue that the central message of the prophets in the Old Testament is the message of the Messiah, the Son of God. The prophets of old spoke to their situation to their circumstance during that time. But not just that. That was not really the main message. Those were messages for their time. But every now and then, God would send a message through the prophets, predicting, prophesying the coming of the Messiah. The writer of Hebrews says, in the past... God spoke through the prophets, but now God speaks through his Son. Point number two is God spoke through the Son. But in these last days, God spoke through his Son, heir of all things, whom he made the world with. 
Let's read verse 2 of chapter 1 of Hebrews. It says here, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. First, let me just address the term last days. George Guthrie, a professor uh, and, uh, and lecturer of Hebrews, mentioned that the term last days means days of fulfillment rather than days of promises. In the Old Testament, those were days of promises. God would send messages to the prophets to give his promise to Israel. However, when the Jewish people say the last days, it is opposed to days of promises. Last days means days of fulfillment. That's why we need to study scripture. If we did not study their culture then, we would think last days is the end of the world. And oftentimes when people just read scripture, they would interpret last days as end of the world. And yes, there are end of days that the Bible would speak of. But you see, the last days began when Jesus came on earth. The days of fulfillment of God's promises from the prophets began to be fulfilled. And until today, it continues to be fulfilled. May I also cite John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, because here in verse 2, it says here that God and the Son created the world. So let's read John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wait, let's go back. Let's read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at the play of words of the author, speaking of the mystery about the unity of the Father and the Son being two yet being one. Oh, some may ask, where was he in Genesis? He was the Word. The Word, let there be. Let there be light. And there was light. He was the Word. That is the pre-incarnate the pre-incarnate image of the Son as the Word. When we say pre-incarnate, incarnate means Christ coming, becoming flesh. And he was given the name Jesus. That's the incarnate Son of God. Before that, in the Old Testament, he was the Word. From the beginning, he was the Word. And the Word became flesh. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 14. Verse 2 in John chapter 1. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Through the Word. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. I mean, without the Son, without the Word, there was no creation. 
So let me just say, Christ is eternal. He is eternal. He was there in the beginning with God and the Word was God. Because you cannot separate a person's Word from the person himself. So we say that mature men, real men, are men of their word. Men who would say, my word is my bond. Not those who would betray what they say or suddenly do something else versus what they said. The author of Hebrews proclaimed that it was the last days. The promises made by the prophets about the Messiah has been fulfilled in Christ and is being fulfilled. The the prophecy of the suffering Messiah who died as the Lamb of God was fulfilled. Let me repeat that statement. The prophecy of the Messiah that would rule the earth is yet to be fulfilled. The prophecy of the suffering Messiah who died as the Lamb of God was fulfilled. But the prophecy of the Messiah that would literally come back on earth is yet to be fulfilled. In between is what? And this gospel shall be preached to all nations, all ethne. Again, we've read in the book of Revelations that every tongue means every language. Every tribe, every people group with different languages will be represented in heaven. That's the mission work. Now, since Christ's incarnation, what is incarnation? Christ becoming flesh. We have been in the last days. Which is what? The days of fulfillment. So are we in the last days, Pastor Ed? Yes! But I'm not so sure if it's the end of the world. Those are two different things. The end of days and the last days are two different things. The last days for Jewish culture or Jewish people means the days of fulfillment. In the past, God spoke through chosen vessels called prophets. And then God spoke through the Son. Now, what the author is saying The Son is different from the prophets, okay? Christ is the center, not the prophets. Christ is superior, not the prophets. Okay, Jewish people, you love the prophets. You respect the prophets. You hold them in high esteem, but they are not the Son of God. No matter how they look up to the prophets, the Son of God is of a different class. Different. The Son is both appointed heir of all things and the creator of the world. Again, the Son of God is superior to the Old Testament prophets. And that must be very, very clear to us. The Old Testament prophets, you don't see that kind of prophet in the New Testament. You don't see that. All over the New Testament, you don't see a Moses-like or Jeremiah-like or Daniel-type. You don't see that in the New Testament. What you have in the New Testament are the apostles who met Christ, Paul, of course, in a supernatural manner, but they have met Christ, 
and they, they wrote about Christ, and they explained the gospel. That's why we have the New Testament. Now, today, there are self-proclaimed prophets. Were there prophets in the New Testament? Yes, but they functioned in a minor way. What was the message of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? They had one message, which is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ and how we are sanctified and how we should live our lives. But it begins with what is the gospel clearly? Who is Christ clearly? And how we should live our lives. So the sun is different from everybody else. Now, we know that. We believe that. But for them, it was a great struggle. Because some see Christ as just one of the prophets. Not the appointed heir. Not the son of God. Point number three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the full representation of God in glory and nature. Okay, God's glory and God's nature. He is God. The sun is a full representation of that. The Son of God upholds all things by the power of His Word. He purified our sins, and He, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of God. So what the author was saying, He is unlike any other. And we can say He is not like any other religious leader. There are many religions in the world, and their founders are dead. But Jesus Christ died and rose again, and he sits at the right hand of God. Let's read verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the author of Hebrews argues that the son is incomparable to the prophets because of who he is. The glory of the son is the same glory of the father. The Son upholds the world by His power, through His Word. You see, every star, every comet and meteor is where it should be. Sometimes these astrologers, uh, astronomers, sorry, astronomers scare us when they say, a comet might hit Earth or will pass by Earth. It might create a gravitational pull, and perhaps the end of the world will be like that. Some say that story, but I trust in the Lord Jesus because he upholds the world with his power. If it is not time, therefore it is not time. He upholds everything by the word of his power.
Moreover, the Son purified the sins, and we say all who repent and believe. He made the cleansing of sin possible through his suffering, death, and resurrection. None of the prophets of the Old Testament could purify the sins of men. No man on earth, no matter how amazing that person is, no human on earth, no matter how respectable they are, can purify the sins of people. Only the sinless, spotless lamb, the innocent lamb, without sin, could do that. Only the Son of God can. The Son of God is not like any other prophet who may prophesy in God's authority. Yes, the prophets of the Old Testament, like Moses, prophesied in God's authority. But the Son sits on the right hand of God, which is what? The right hand of God is the highest authority on earth. The prophets spoke in the authority of God, but the Son sits there. The Lord Jesus Christ is superior. The right hand, the right hand of God is a place of sovereign execution. Sovereign execution. The Lord Jesus Christ is not only superior to the prophets, he is sovereign. And he holds dominion in all things in the world. He has dominion. Why? He is God. And we will study that he is God in the next sermon, clearly stating in chapter 1 about the deity of Christ. Application. Number one, Christ is the center of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we know that he is the center. But not everybody would say that he is the center of the Old. God spoke to Israel through the prophets. The principal prophecies were about or related to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thus, we should study the Old Testament, knowing that Christ is superior to the prophets. Christ is not equal to the prophets. The Messiah was the central message, or the coming of the Messiah was the central message of the prophets. In the New Testament, the main message is the gospel of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John narrated the life of Christ, including his suffering, death, and resurrection. The book of Acts accounted for the Holy Spirit's coming and the birth of the church in Jerusalem. Moreover, the book of Acts told the story of the spread of the gospel in the Gentile world. The epistles in the New Testament explain the gospel of Christ, which established the doctrines of grace, justification, sanctification, and glorification. The epistles also address issues of behavior and conduct, especially in the presence of persecution. The apocalyptic book, Revelation, addressed current issues during the time of the writing, but it also gave us glimpses of the end of times. Christ is obviously the center of the New Testament scriptures. However, let us keep in mind that he is the center of the Old Testament as well. Genesis recorded the first promise of his coming. 
The seed of Eve would crush the serpent's head. God said that. The promise of the Messiah, not the seeds of Eve, not saying the many children of Eve would crush the serpent, said, but the seed. There was a specific seed down the line that would crush the serpent's head, and that is Christ. The tabernacle and the ceremonial system of sacrifice foreshadowed Christ. The covenants of God to Abraham, Israel, and David prepared the new covenant in Christ. Let us keep in mind that Christ is the center of God's plan. I say again in our application, the Old Testament office of the prophet did not carry over to the New Testament. So whatever you watch on YouTube proclaiming themselves as prophets, we hear what they say compared to what, what Scripture says. Because the main message is the gospel in the life of Christ, explained by the epistles. And his coming prophesied in the book of Revelation. God now speaks through the Son, and the Son was witnessed by the apostles, there were prophets in the New Testament, they played a role to guide the church, not to give a new revelation from God that is different from Scripture. Everything that was declared by the New Testament leaders who were legit, not false teachers or false prophets, reflected what the Son of God said. That is called sound doctrine. And the same way here Today, in our church, and the church of Jesus Christ, any preacher you hear, you must have a filter in your mind. What's the filter? The Word of God. That's why we want us to study the Word of God, because we have to filter every statement. A preacher who fears God must prepare his sermons carefully, because he must have a filter in his own mind. And with each other, we try to filter one another when we discuss the sermon before we preach it to you. The messages of today's minister should never contradict what the Bible speaks about the Messiah. It should never contradict what the gospel speaks. Every now and then, there would be some scholar, one in very few, who would question the authenticity of Scripture. But then if you compare them, if you study about the other scholars who've, who've studied what? The manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts, would say, yes, the copying system before the printing press arrived, there was some defect. That is why there is also a science of comparison, comparing the ancient manuscripts. That's why we have what we believe as an authoritative New Testament. Application to exalt Christ above all religious leaders. God fulfilled his promises through Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Thus, we should proclaim that Christ is the center of God's plan. Not any man or woman not self-proclaimed prophets, not any so-called saints, take note, not any so-called saints, but Christ alone is the center. 
Some will argue, oh, he's the center naman eh. Kaya lang, we also want to honor everybody else. But the way you listen to them, how often they honor, they honor everybody else, sounds like more than Christ. Because if you honor Christ, you would read the scriptures and follow the scriptures. Although we should appreciate and to some extent admire significant people in our Christian history. We should be careful not to treat them as equal to the Son of God. Nobody is equal to the Son of God. There is no co-redemptrix. There is no co-mediator. There is none. Scripture only speaks about Christ. Christ is incomparable because he is the only Son of God. He's the only one who sits at the right hand. Nobody else. And furthermore, he is the only redeemer. He's the only one who is sinless. Scripture says all have sinned, including all saints. So-called saints. But scripture says, who's a saint? A believer is a saint. That's why they would write in scripture, greet the saints. What does that mean? The sanctified ones. Greet the saints. It means believers. So yeah, if I call you a saint, don't be surprised. That doesn't mean you're holier than thou. It means you were saved by grace. But please do not call me Saint Ed, ever. In today's culture and usage of the word, it is unacceptable. But in the usage of the New Testament, it meant the sanctified ones. It meant the believers, those saved by grace. Now, I state this to everybody listening to this video and everybody here. Leave any religion or organization that makes men or angels equal to the Son of God. Go to a community that preaches the message of the Son found in God's Word. Leave any church that gives higher value to prophecies made by men. And many who claim to be Christian churches speak more about the prophecies of men today and their own prophecies rather than the word of God. If any man or woman prophesies and they value their prophecy as higher than the word of God, the Holy Scriptures do not listen. People would say, the Lord told me. You see, the Lord told me is no match to what? The scripture says this. The Lord told me, but the scripture explained this. Who do you choose? The Lord told me. The Lord told me, jump and roll over. Will you do that? Hopefully not. So preachers should say, this is what the scripture says. And as I've studied it, the closest I can get to the meaning of it is this. That's a proper way of sharing scripture. Not just to my perspective, huh? This is just me, okay? Please don't speak at all. Rather what? Take the time to study the context and say, ah, okay. I believe this is how I can apply it because this seems to be what the author is saying. That's the kind of culture we want. 
And lastly, Christ fully represents the Father in glory and nature. God created the world with the Son. And the Son upholds the world by the word of His power. Thus we, trusting the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, we also preach Christ and none other. He is incomparable to anyone, nor does anyone come close. Christ sits at the right hand of God, which is the highest authority and dominion. Sitting at the right hand also means that he is the executor of the will of God. Now, how should we respond knowing this truth about Christ? The first response and the only response is what? Submission to the authority of Christ. We submit to his sovereignty. What his word says, we submit to it. We believe it and we obey it. We believe in what he did on the cross. We were told to repent and believe. Therefore, we repent and believe. Because there is no one higher. And we must submit to the sovereign rule and authority of Christ. That is what it means to make him Lord. Well, you cannot make him Lord because he's already Lord. Okay, Whether you make him Lord or not with your life, he is Lord. But I would change that phrase to, He is Lord of all, therefore we must submit to Him. Rather than make Him your personal Lord and Savior. I don't like that word, personal Lord and Savior. Why, it's like what? A personal toothbrush? A personal thing I use? Oh, it's personal between me me and God. That's yes and no. Yes, partially because he saves us as individuals. And no, because the plan of God is always with a community of believers. So we submit to the authority of Christ. The question is, do you submit to the authority of Christ? Did you repent of your sin? Do you follow him? Do you believe in him? There should be no one higher No authority higher in our community and in our lives. Nobody is higher. What do I mean? What people tell me to do is secondary, tertiary, and far off down the line compared to what Christ tells me to do. I am not influenced by whoever. If somebody wants me to sin, I must submit to Christ rather than men. By God's grace, we can obey Him only by God's grace. Because alone, in our own strength, impossible. That's why the response is submission. Lord, I want to obey, but honestly, I'm not sure if I can. I don't know if I have the strength, but I repent of my sins. I turn away from this with your strength. By your grace, save me. I repent and I believe. It's in humility that Christ exalts us, but to say that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a good person anyway. I don't hurt others, not like these kinds of sinners. I'm not like that. That's a giveaway that you don't understand the gospel and you don't understand the sovereign Christ. The sovereign Christ wants us to what? 
humble ourselves, acknowledge we are sinners, and repent of our sins. He is Lord of all, and He is the Lord of us. What do we do knowing that Christ sits on the right hand of God? We proclaim His dominion everywhere, and that all men should bow their knees and submit to His authority. We also proclaim that to submit to His authority, it means to repent of our sins and believe in Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. You know what? In this life, many will not submit to Christ. But one day, everybody will. And that's what Scripture says. On Judgment Day, no matter how high the pride is, no matter how defiant a person is, they will all bow down and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Everybody will bend the knee. I'd like to share a piece of literature I wrote after making this sermon called The Regions of God. Let me read it to you. You're the regions of God's glory, unique in your category, expressed image of His nature, unparalleled in your stature. Unlike the prophets of old times, the prophets were given the lines, they spoke of you in prophecy, deity from eternity. Our sins cleansed through Jesus Christ, the sole sacrifice that sufficed. He holds dominion over all, therefore let us all heed his call. Let us stand up and let us pray. Father, thank you for this morning. A truth re-emphasized, and I pray, take us with a deeper understanding of this, that you're not just Christ who died, who purified our sins, but you sit at the right hand of God. You were appointed heir of all things. All things belong to you. You're not like any other, anybody else who started a religion. You're not like any men, not like any other prophet. Your Christ, the Son of the living God, who now sits at the highest of, of authority in the universe. You sit in the place of execution. You are Lord of lords, King of kings. All shall bow down before you. Everyone shall bow down before you. And we are those who bow down in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. We submit to you because we know who you are as Scripture reveals who you are. Thank you, Lord. Give us the courage to proclaim there is none like you and that everywhere men should repent of their sins and submit to your dominion. Give us the courage to proclaim there is no other name but your name that men may be saved. And there is no other person that we should bow down to except you, for you are God. We submit our will to you. 
We honor others only because your word says so. We respect others because your word says so. We submit to one another because your word says so. Because all of us submit to the word of God. We know you are in control of the universe, including this pandemic. Thus, we trust your will, whatever the outcome. If it is your sovereign will to take us home, we gladly go home. If it is your sovereign will to keep us alive, praise God, we shall do your work until we die. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say amen. God bless you.